Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. And joining us today, we have special guest, author Karen Booth. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So tell us how 2021 has been for you. Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm like, what month is it? It's, I guess it's August. Uh, you know, it is funny how with the pandemic, time has just become this very odd construct. Everything is long and fast at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's been good. I think uh, I definitely have not been as productive as I would like to have been um, for the first half of the year. I'm hoping I can put the pedal to the metal a little bit for this you know, a few remaining months, but I think a lot of writers have been struggling through this. It's hard to, I mean, it's a good escape um, when you're writing romance, but um, you have to get yourself into escape mode. And if, you know, things are weighing too heavily on you, it can be, it can be hard, but you know, books are coming out. I am writing, <laughs> so it's all good. Yeah. So let's uh, kick it off with some icebreaker questions. What's your favorite John Hughes film? So I had to think about this for a while. <laughs> um, I Probably Breakfast Club. Um, it's funny. I probably would have said 16 Candles like 10 years ago, but that, that movie does not hold up well. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't, but I love it so no, much. I, lo- <laughs> I, I, I love it too. There's just, you know, there's a lot more problematic things in it every time I rewatch it um and that's troubling you know I get that it was you know it's a product of the time but I do feel like Breakfast Club aside from its uh extreme whiteness um does do a good job of capturing teenage angst and um you know giving you these glimpses into different you know personalities Mm -hmm. and and how everybody had their struggles in high school you know, yeah, I yeah, think, yeah, lot, yeah, yeah. What did you think of Pretty in Pink? Um, I love Pretty in Pink. I don't love the ending. That's I don't the, either. <laughs> that's the problem. And I, and I, and I freaking hate Blaine or whatever his name is. He just, I was like, Andy, why do you like him? Right. Yeah. I mean, just like, <laughs> so, um, so, I mean, there's definitely parts of that movie that I liked, um, when I was actually, I still sew a lot, but I sewed a lot when I was a teenager. And so I always thought that was really cool about her character that she made her prom dress and all of that. And I loved her clothes. I love Annie Potts in that movie mm-hmm. as kind of her, you know, funky, uh, you know, I guess almost like a fairy godmother sort of character. Um, but yeah, I just don't love the ending. I wanted her to end up with Ducky. <laughs> Yeah, I heard that there was like a survey done and most people didn't want her to end up with him. And I'm like, but he's the obvious good choice. Right. <laughs> right. I don't know. It's weird. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I remember watching it. I was like, this is awful. <laughs> right. I cannot believe. No, I, re- I totally remember having that feeling in the theater. Like, yeah. That's the end of the movie? <laughs> that's not right. So I know that you are a Midwestern girl transplanted to the South. I feel yeah. the same. I, mm-hmm. I was born in Missouri. Um, what's one of your favorite Southern dishes, whether that you make or just to like go out and eat? Um, oh my gosh. There's, I mean, that's part of what I love living in the South is there's so much amazing food. Um, 
I guess barbecue, which if you haven't been to the South, and especially if you've been in North Carolina, because North Carolina barbecue is a whole separate thing. Like, you know, it's very different from Texas barbecue, but different from Memphis or any other uh, part of the country. But so we have like a vinegar based sauce that's in our barbecue. So it's usually chopped pork. Um, and I love, I love it. It's delicious, but I like all the sides too. I like fried okra. I like really good mac and cheese. I love collards. Um, I love all of it. What's one thing oh, delicious. You've... I love collard greens. Oh, I've never had them. Shocking. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's Canadian. No. <laughs> poutine is more our thing up here. <laughs> yeah. I like poutine too. What's one thing you find yourself nostalgic for? rom-coms you know I, I was thinking I thought about this one for a long time I just wish there were more movies that were of that ilk mm-hmm. um, yeah. and I don't want a remake of a movie because I feel like there's so much of that I just want like it's not like there aren't a million great romantic comedies you know books that come out every year you know 30 of those should be made into a movie <laughs> yeah um, I agree you know and I think yeah so the, I'm definitely nostalgic for that because there's just not, you know, most of the time when my husband and I decide to watch a movie, I don't know. It's, I feel like I can't find what I, I just want something fun and romantic and I want to laugh a few times. Mm-hmm. I want to feel, I have warm and fuzzy feelings at mm-hmm. the end. So I'm nostalgic for that. Yeah. I feel like we need our own, we need a new version of Nora Ephron or somebody mm-hmm. to yeah. just come yeah, 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 along. Agreed. Right. I mean. I feel like we see it like net Netflix will put out rom-coms around the holidays and like they'll mm-hmm. sprinkle some in throughout the year, but even st- the comedy has kind of changed mm-hmm. a little bit. It's just, yeah. it's, it's weird, but I, I want rom-coms to make yeah. a comeback mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah, like we yeah. need those. Yeah. <laughs> um, a book you mentioned on your website that you read repeatedly growing mm-hmm. up is forever by Judy Bloom. Can you tell yeah. us about the book and what it was about it that you loved? Well, I mean, it's about first love and, um, and it's about sex. <laughs> so, you know, when I was in high school, you know, big you, just, deal, you, yeah. you just read the parts over and over again. <laughs> A part of what's awesome about that book is, so Catherine is the heroine and she's 17, I want to say in that book. And, um, her, she and her best friend, talk about it all the time, you know, because as 17 year old girls are apt to do. Her friend really thinks sex is not romance. Sex is mm-hmm. just like this thing you do with someone and you should just get it over with and stop mm-hmm. putting so much weight on it. Um, and, but one thing I always thought was cool about it is that the conversations she has with her mom about sex are like her mom there's definitely this kind of protective part of her. It's like, it should be with someone you really care about and kind of thing. But her mom is not judgmental or, you know, I need to lock you in a closet mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever. Um, but it's just basically she she uh, meets this guy, Michael, on New Year's Eve. And, um, you know, there's months and months of will they, won't they kind of thing. And then they end up going, uh, I I forget a lot of this. They end up going on a trip. Like their families go to this camping spot or something at the same time anyway. And they had planned they were going to have sex then. And then she gets her period. <laughs> oh, no. And, of yeah. course. <laughs> right. Of course. 
And uh, so he basically teaches her how to jerk him off. And uh, he names his penis. Um, <laughs> he names it Ralph. Ralph? <laughs> Which is not. I'd forgotten this from the book. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. So, but yeah, so it's just a coming of age story. And then, and you know, and she's so head over heels for him. But then she meets this other guy. And she's very surprised when she has feelings for someone else. And um, I don't know. It just, it really captured all of that. Um, yeah. yeah, the way that you feel at that time, you know, it's all consuming. It's all you can think about. It's amazing that anyone yeah. ever learned anything. in Because <laughs> um. the way we feel at that mm-hmm. age is like, so definite. Like, this is the love of yep. my life. This is right. it. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. 17. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I, I read that book. I mean, I just read it over and over and over again. And you know, then a friend would borrow it and I'd be like, oh God, when is she going to give it back? (laughs) We love romance origin stories. How did you become a romance reader? During the summer. So I I primarily grew up in Minnesota, but for a few years we moved to South Dakota. And um, so during the summers, because my dad at that point was single dad, and he would send me to go live with my aunt in the summer. And I have two older cousins. Um, one is two years older than me and the other is five years older than me. And Margie, my oldest cousin, she had every single Barbara Cartland book. Like every oh, nice. single one. <laughs> Just her entire room was Barbara Cartland books. And so she would le- let me read them. And I just remember thinking, the well, especially Barbara Cartland some of those books are crazy. You know, it's like she goes to live with this guy because his, uh, her mom lost her and or her dad lost her as, in a bet. Like her dad, her dad did some bet and he waged his daughter and then he loses the bet. And so she has to go live with this dude who's, you know, of course, cranky and terrible and, you know, 10 years older than her and but falls hopelessly in love with him. Anyway, um, but yeah, so that was kind of that, again, it was like reading forever. Mm-hmm. I just was, you know, just gobble them up all day long. And so that's she must how I have been a summers. big deal because I was like looking her up and she like reprinted a bunch of, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's like other authors titles. And it was like Barbara Cartland's Library of Love. And I was like, okay, Barbara Cartland. <laughs> I saw that in your Instagram feed. I didn't realize that she had done that either. Um, but yeah, no, she wrote hundreds and hundreds of books wow. before she died. So something we saw on your website that is cool is that you co-founded the Seasoned Romance Facebook group. So for anyone that's, you know, interested and in they're on Facebook, can you share with us what inspired the founding of the group and like what it's all about and what you guys have going on? Right. So basically we're just, it's a place for readers and authors to connect and it, we just try to celebrate and kind of shine a light on romance that has characters um, who are older, quote unquote older. And we usually say 35 and up, but it's a, it's not really about the numbers. It's more about, um, you know, characters who are maybe a little bit later in life. Maybe they've been divorced. Maybe they've been widowed. Maybe, um, yeah, there could be a million different scenarios, but um, so the very first book that I wrote um 
the heroine was 40 because I didn't write my first book until I was 40. And so I guess I just felt like that made sense to me. And I wrote the book and I, you know, when I finished it and started sending it to agents and editors, so many people came back to me and said, you can't write a romance about a woman who's 40. They were like, that's women's fiction. That's not romance. Excuse me. <laughs> okay, I've never heard this yeah, one this before, never, right, yeah. Sarah? <laughs> right. And they were like, and, and they were like, well, a, you know, a few people said, well, it could be, it's okay that it's a romance, but you can't have sex in it if it's going to be a woman who's 40. <laughs> because women at, after 40 stop yeah, having clearly, sex. Yes. <laughs> Apparently just completely shut down for yeah. business. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I mean, excuse my language was like, are you shitting me? Like, seriously, that is so um, anyway, so Margaret Etheridge, um, who also writes as Maggie Wells, mm-hmm. she and I both published with the same um, small publisher called Turquoise Morning Press, which doesn't exist anymore. But um, Margaret also wrote, wrote older characters. And Margaret and I are like, only a few months apart in age. And um she and I both said we had this similar experiences in terms of trying to find a publisher, trying to find an agent. Um, but we also had similar experiences in that we got emails from readers who said, I can't believe, you know, I got to read a romance about someone my age, mm-hmm. you know? And um, that was when, so Margaret and I were sort of like, this is telling me that this means something to people. And since this is what we want to write, we should just keep writing it. But we also knew that it was hard to find those books um, because there's not really a good term for it. So many words that have to do with being older have negative connotations, which aren't a good way to sell a romance. Um, You know, it would have been great if we could have come up with a label that was like new adult or something, but um so margaret always used to say that her characters were seasoned that they weren't old they were Mm -hmm. seasoned um that they'd been through a lot in life so anyway so we just we started the facebook group i honestly thought we would get like 100 people and that would be the end of it and now we're like over 4200 members wow Wow. that's awesome yeah but it's really it's really just about a place for you know readers to find out about books Mm -hmm. That's really yeah. all it's about. Yeah. That's really something that you even have to put that. In. I mean, I guess in a way for a reader, you know, if you're in the store and you're looking at the book and it's like, oh, if you're like a 42 year old woman and you pick up this book and you're like, oh, wow. Okay. This woman's around my age. Mm-hmm. On one hand, that's, you know, a great thing. But then to even know that you have to kind of market it yeah. in a way, like, I guess there's, there's just something about that, that kind of bothers me yeah yeah of course like, yeah yeah because yeah. yeah, no, i'll be like most of my favorite books are ones where the heroine is over like over a certain age i uh-huh. love reading women that have lived some life right new right. adult is not my no, thing it's really it's not, not my, my thing, thing either <laughs> i've never read it i did not like leave high school and go to college so i didn't have that experience mm-hmm. like so yeah that's just that's really we talk about all these like, you know, romance has so much room to grow to grow in terms of like diversity and inclusivity. Mm-hmm. And it's like age is definitely Absolutely. one of those areas that I think mm-hmm. we need to we need to like step it up. I mean, 
you can't be 22 you're forever (laughs) right and I think the, the thing about age is well first off you know it affects all of us you know uh we're all getting older and um it reaches across every subgenre within romance you know i mean if you want to look at lgbtq romance not everybody is out and living their best life when they're 22 yeah. mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of people who uh, my younger sister samantha is gay and she didn't come out until she was 31 Wow. And even then, she felt really nervous about it. She hadn't been in a relationship with a woman. She mm-hmm. only knew that that was what, that was she who wanted, she was yeah. attracted to. Yeah. And, you know, and actually, I will just mention that she got engaged on Thursday last week. And she's getting oh, married. Yay, and I'm congratulations. Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's like, this is, you know, she's 38 now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, that's the way her life plan out does that mean you know her romance is any less valid than any other no of course not but for her this is first love this is you know um not you know not everybody falls in love when they're 21 and then i think to just think about the population of readers i mean you romance more than likely i'm assuming here has a big population of readers that are over a certain age and like Mm -hmm. they don't get to see themselves reflected Mm -hmm. and then they have to sit back and like watch this discussion about why nobody wants to and it's like where are you getting that data from is that an assumption that like nobody wants to read it i don't know i'm yeah i don't i don't know it pisses me off (laughs) well and it also i mean you know one of the things too is that it was always the comment was well the heroine can't be 40 you know so there's this whole layer of sexism in it too and misogyny it's it's Oh, well, I mean, the hero could be 40, but she needs to be 28 or, you know, whatever. Um, That's the thing that's always kind of amazed me that we have an industry that is powered by women Mm -hmm. and there's so much like internalized misogyny and sexism that goes through all of it. And and we don't call it out enough. Um, But that's one of those things that I was just, yeah. It There's kind of no makes reason. me think of like the virgin trope. Like I can't, like sometimes I feel yeah, like the yeah, virgin yeah. thing is yeah. over. Like I'm like a girl that's 27 and has had a few partners obviously doesn't deserve love <laughs> compared <laughs> to like this 18 year old virgin. And I think right. of that with the same with like a 45 year old woman. So what, she doesn't deserve love now because she's right. over 40? Like that's, yeah. it's crazy to me. Yeah. But yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll move on because I yeah. could go on all day. <laughs> Me too. Um, back in February of this year, you released Gray Hair Don't Care, book one in your Never Too Late series, which received an email review from Publishers Weekly. They wrote, with this funny, surprising novel, Booth might have just written the definitive Gen X romance. For any of our listeners who have yet to read it, can you tell them about the book and where the inspiration for it came from? So, yeah, so that book has um, the character, uh, the heroine Leela is 47 at the very beginning of the book, but there's a time jump. Mm-hmm. And um, it's about her and the guy from college that she was just completely head over heels for. And he didn't really, he couldn't figure it out. Um, and... Um, when so she runs into him soon after she's gotten divorced and he's 
been divorced three times at this point and <laughs> he still um, couldn't figure it out <laughs> no, no 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 and uh anyway so they have a one night stand and he freaks out and he leaves and at this point you know she's like I said newly divorced she's just had this she thought that this was this could have been the start of something amazing you know she still had feelings for him and um anyway so She's going gray at that point, and she just says to her best friend, she's like, you know, I just need to stop, I guess, maybe denying the her lot in life. She's mm-hmm. sort of like, I need to embrace where I am mm-hmm. right now rather than feeling sad about it or fighting it. I need to just say, okay, I'm single now. Yeah, I'm going gray. Yeah, I'm, you know, getting older or whatever. So she decides to go gray, and that's kind of when her whole life changes. She makes this big change in her career and um yeah so anyway so right after she turns 50 she runs into donovan again except this time it's because his daughter uh has acquired leela she's a makeup artist and so she starts a cosmetic line and um uh donovan's daughter uh who he has been estranged from from for a lot of his life uh, or a lot of her life uh has like a lifestyle company and she acquires Leela's company, not knowing okay. that her dad has this history with Leela. So anyway, it's very fun. Um, it's not very angsty. It allowed me to put a lot of eighties music references into <laughs> a book. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just very much about, you know, embracing yourself mm-hmm. and kind of falling in love on your own terms. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, it's a fun and light book. I definitely, you know, that was the, the tone of the book directly comes out of the pandemic. Okay. Just wanting to feel like, okay, I just need to write something that is just very not angsty, not, I mean, there's a lot of emotion in there, um, but it's not um, super high conflict. It's, you know, it's just meant to be fun Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of family stuff in there, which I like writing too. Well, the next book, Brooklyn Monroe Wants It All. I love that title. (laughs) So it comes out in October. Is there anything you're able to share about that one? I know it's still kind of early. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, so Leela is in that book. She's like a secondary character, but it's about a woman, Brooklyn, who is 42 and um, she wants to have a baby. And, you know, just her love life has not worked out. And um, so she decides that she's going to do it on her own. And so the, she and her sister also work in the kind of the beauty circles in New York. They have a company that's um, kind of like Birchbox or Ipsy, mm-hmm. like a subscription service. And um, she and her sister are goofing around and... Anyway, this note gets put in the subscription box that goes out to male customers that basically says, you know, if anybody wants to get, a, you know, help out a stressed out, overworked CEO <laughs> and get her pregnant, <laughs> here's her email. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, anyway, and then her ex, Alec, is, um, he is like a national morning talk show host kind of like a like Matt Lauer but without all the um bad 
sexual harassment. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and uh, anyway, so she goes on his show to kind of explain to the world why she why this thing happened, basically, because, of course, she, you know, being ridiculed on the Internet and dragged on Twitter. And, you know, it's kind of she and her sister are worried it's going to affect their business. So um, and again, so that's definitely a second chance romance. One thing that, you know, I like to think about a lot is timing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how it's kind of amazing that two people could meet at the right time <laughs> and decide at the same time that they're in love and they want to be together. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. you just think about, you know, career or family or geography or just, you know, having different goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, it is a very contemporary um, uh, line of thinking because I, th- I feel like, you know, at least for like my parents' generation, you know, they, they left high school knowing they were supposed to meet whoever they were going to marry in the next couple mm-hmm. of years, you know, yeah. if they hadn't already, you know. And so they went into relationships with a very different set of expectations, whereas now it's a great thing that we are more open and it's, you know, more women have more opportunities than we had 40 years ago, 50 years ago, but it does create more, um, there's just more obstacles there. Um, And especially when you think about something like having a baby, Mm -hmm. you know, there's only so much time you have. Um, I mean, you can push it, you know, there are advancements uh, in, you know, medicine that have made it possible to kind of keep that window open a little longer, but it's not indefinite. Mm Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's what that that book is about. It's a lot about timing, and uh, like like the title suggests, uh, wanting it all, quote unquote, it mm-hmm. all, and whether or not that's even, you know, necessarily something, uh, a goal you have to achieve. Having self-published the series, what advice would you give to anyone interested in self-publishing? Oh gosh. Um, learn to sleep less. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, you definitely don't self-publish something that you don't believe in. Um, I mean, I feel like, I mean, yes, there are people out there who just write directly to market and they just write what they know can sell and they make money, Mm -hmm. but it is a slog and it's hard to find your audience. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's just hard to sell books. And so um, at least if you believe in it, you know, you're, it's not going to feel so much like, you know, hard work. Because mm-hmm. um, it is hard work. You have to do a lot of things. There's a lot of things you have to figure out. The cover and the formatting and distribution and um, trying to do publicity and marketing and all those kinds of things. So I feel like at least if you're coming at it from a point where you really believe in the book um, that will take you pretty far because it's a marathon for sure. Having both, you know, traditional, traditionally published titles and then self-published titles, like what have you learned from that experience of being an author with both? I mean, I like both sides of it. Uh, I don't think every author, 
I do think like there are definitely some people who are just their personality types dictate that they could only be traditionally published or they could only be self-published. I do like both sides of it. I like um, on the traditional side, I do have to keep to more of a schedule. You know, it is nice to not have to worry about the cover and, Mm. you know, formatting and all that stuff, especially with Harlequin. The international distribution is just crazy good. So um, that's really nice. You know, you write a book once and it comes out in like 18 different languages. That's awesome. All these different titles and covers. It's really Mm -hmm. cool. Um, So, but the thing I like about the self-pub side is that I can write what I want, like exactly what Mm -hmm. I want. And I can make it as weird or quirky as I want to. And um, so, you know, in some ways... I feel like the self-pub books kind of feed, yeah, they definitely feed like a creative um, appetite that is there, you know, because when I write for Harlequin, there is, there's just constraint, yeah. you know, you have to adhere to, um, you know, the guidelines for whatever line you're writing for. And, um, but, you know, that's to please readers. And um, so it's important but, you know, there's always other stuff I want to write that don't fall within those criteria. One thing you touched on was, like, when you're self-publishing, you have to find your audience. So mm-hmm. what, do, I mean, if you've already have titles under your name, like we know Karen Booth. Right. Do you as a writer still have that feeling of, like, well, I'm self-publishing now, so this is a different audience? Yeah. or? Is there some overlap? Like, okay, you have readers that are going to read whatever you put out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or is it just because the story is a little, you know, it's different from what you'd get over here? Like, I don't know. Yeah, there's a little overlap. There's not a ton. Um, Only because I think Harlequin readers are just incredibly loyal, which is awesome Mm -hmm. and amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of the reason why they like category romance is that they know what they're going to get. You know, and I think, um, you know, it's like you have a job or kids or whatever. You have X amount of time to read. You have X amount of money to spend on books. There are a lot of people who are like, I'm going to read one or two books a month. And I want to know that I'm going to be happy when I'm done reading it, that I'm not going to get 30 pages in and be like, oh, this is not for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so... There's not a there's not a ton of overlap. I do feel like there's probably more people who read my indie books and decide to try the Harlequin books okay. than the other way around. But okay. it does it does go both ways. It does go both ways. It's just Harlequin readers tend to be just Harlequin readers. You know, they just want more and more of that same thing, which is why it's such a great business model because mm-hmm. there's just that appetite there for it. I can definitely see that working. (laughs) (laughs) So it was 2015 when your first Harlequin Desire novel, That Night with the CEO, released. What was your journey to becoming published with Harlequin like? Well, so um, the book that I mentioned earlier with the 40-year-old heroine, the first book I wrote, Bring Me Back, um, a friend of a friend gave that book to Patience Bloom, who is now my editor at Harlequin. And she loved it. So she's it. still there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, because I need her to write another memoir. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love her memoir. Okay. Her memoir is amazing. 
Um, I'll tell her that the next time I talk to her, I'll tell her that. I've listened to it like five times. (laughs) Yeah. She will love hearing that too. I'll tell her that too. Um, Yeah. So patients sent me an email and um, it's funny because at first, you know, she was like, you know, she just said, you know, I really love the book and here's what I loved about it. And I really think that if you're interested, you should try and write for Harlequin. And at first I kind of thought, you know, I wasn't sure how serious she was. Like maybe, I don't know. I was like, maybe Mm -hmm. she sends out 20 emails like that a year or whatever. Um, But she and I had a fair amount of back and forth. And then we had a phone conversation. It was when we had the phone conversation that I really realized that, okay, she's really serious. Like she really wants me to do Mm -hmm. this. And um, so I had a fair amount of... um, learning I had to do, even though at that point I'd already written, I don't know, maybe seven or eight books. Um, just because there's a very specific art to writing category romance. And I didn't, I didn't know that, you know, I, or I didn't know, I didn't have the skills cultivated to do it. So I had to, I read a ton of, once I figured out what line I wanted to submit to, um, which was desire, I thought that that was the best for me only because the heroines tend to be although all the all the lines have strong heroines but the heroines in those books tend to they don't need a man Mm -hmm. let's Mm -hmm. put it that way um and I already kind of wrote a lot of heroines like that and um but yeah I read a ton of desires before I attempted doing it so it took a while I mean this was probably maybe 2012 when she sent me that email and um you know i i don't even remember but i I guess i signed my contract in 2014 um so yeah it took a while and the first proposal i wrote for her was rejected and um because i had (laughs) i tried i tried to be a little bit too far outside the box but it was great because Patience was wonderful. She was patient with me. <laughs> and she just said, we need to redo this. And, but let's keep trying. And, and this a second attempt, you know, worked. So thankfully. What were some of the skills that mm-hmm. you had to work on? Well, part of it, the big one is word count. Because okay. you have to fall within 48,000 and 52,000 words. And really, they want you to be as close to 50,000 words as you Okay. okay. And that is really hard to do. Now I just kind of do it naturally, but it takes um, some getting used to, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, your writer brain, you're like, oh, if I could do this. I could do that. I could do this. And all of a sudden you're like, no, that's like a 75,000 word book. And I don't, don't have that much. Mm-hmm. So you have to cram in a lot mm-hmm. um, because that's the other thing is that Harlequin readers really like you know, these extra storylines about families or extended groups of friends or, you know, uh, the town where people might live or whatever. So um, I would say that's the big, the big part of it. Um, And then beyond that, it's just coming up with enough story ideas that fit the criteria for the line Mm -hmm. you write for. Um, So, you know, in Desire, we always write about wealthy, powerful heroes. Um, all the settings are supposed to be in North America, mm-hmm. um, primarily the U.S. Uh, you know, the heroines should be, 
you know, have a career, have aspirations outside of romance or love or family. Um, so, you know, you, you do kind of sometimes struggle to come up with the right setups that are interesting and feel new and fresh because it's also hard as a writer to write the same thing over and over again. You don't want to. So I just love how dramatic some of the desires are I'm like what kind of mindset do they have like how do you get in the mindset to write this dramatic crazy stuff well so you know it's funny well I'm definitely a writer who uses a lot of input you know I watch a lot of tv and movies and read a lot and um one show that has helped me a lot is Jane the Virgin okay um only because that show is so brilliant at every single episode there's like a major turn of the story every single episode and they also do a great job of taking characters who are completely unlikely to a lie and then put them in a situation where they have to help each other Mm -hmm. and um so yeah but you know a lot of times I just get into a situation where I'm looking at a scene and I just say okay, what is the least likely thing to happen here? Let's write that. Yeah. You know? And so I especially think of like all of the um, secrets of the A-list books. <laughs> anyway, like there's there's one of the ones, I guess it was Tempted by Scandal. The there's Well, first off, there's two parallel romances in that book, which was hard to write. But um, there's... Also, this whole storyline with this, the heroine is like with her boss and she has had a crush on him for a long time. And, um, you know, he's very much kind of the playboy type or whatever. And so, and she basically just says to him, you know, I can't be with you if you're not going to be serious about me. And so she's like, you need to do something that's going to show me you're serious. Mm -hmm. And so he invites her to have dinner with his parents at their house and so but of course I was like well it's gonna be boring though if they just show up and have dinner at his parents house with his <laughs> parents I mean so anyway so his drug addict brother is there and the of parents course. are not there <laughs> because <laughs> because the uh, drug addict brother is basically um like meddled in his brother's life and uh sent the parents away and lied to them about her and what she was after from Matt and anyway so yeah I yeah you have to think outside the box even though you're writing inside of a box kind of (laughs) you have to think outside of it so as readers of the desire series we love that the series has these small town settings but that we get a lot of big cities this is Mm -hmm. something that we gripe Mm -hmm. about all the time romance has a thing with big city versus small town mm-hmm. as a writer what do you enjoy about setting romances in the big city i mean i, I do just like the um it's there's more opportunity for uh things to do and um i don't know it can be a little more exciting maybe mm-hmm. um i really love new york so i write a lot of books set in new york and um but even then i still i mean the thing about small town is that i think at its heart, what people like about it is that you know everybody. And so mm-hmm. um, I just try to kind of instill that even if the book is set in New York, you know, we need should have a good size cast of secondary characters and they should all know each other. And 
like each other and support each other and all that sort of thing. But, um, you know, most of the time it's just, I'm setting a, a, you know, a book somewhere where I think is exciting and vibrant and, you know, an escape basically. Not everybody gets to go on a plane and go to Miami yeah, or, you know, go to New York. So that can be kind of the, but you can read this book that's set in New York or Miami or wherever. Um, so let's chat best laid wedding plans and okay. the, tri- the trilogy that it is part of, the Moonlight Ridge trilogy, which you've written with Joss Wood and Reese Ryan, and it's fantastic. Thank you. Um, how did the idea for the trilogy come to be and all of the fun stuff? This right. series, this it's, a, it's incredible. So take yeah. us to the beginning. Oh, thank you. How did it happen? It was um, RWA. I guess it would have been 2019. Uh, so the summer of 2019. So Joss lives in South Africa. and um, But she came to New York that year for the conference, Romance Writers of America. And um, so recent, I knew Joss just from kind of like email and, um, you know, video calls and stuff like that. But we'd never met her in person. And the three of us were just kind of this little pack of Harlequin Desire authors. <laughs> We kind of went everywhere together. We did everything together. Reese and Joss were roommates, so that was also part of it. Okay. But, um, you know, we just, we had so much fun together. And we had written, at that point, the Secrets of the A-List series. And so we'd already kind of figured out how to work together because there is, you know, a little bit of a learning curve when you're trying to collaborate with other authors. So, yeah, so I think... You know, we were having drinks and Joss just said, you know, we should come up with our own idea for a series and pitch it to Stacy, who's Stacy Boyd, who's the um, senior editor for Desire. So, I mean, Joss literally, I think it was the next day, said to Stacy, you know, Karen and Reese and I want to write something together. And Stacy's like, okay, great. Sounds good. <laughs> so that was about, about it. But, you know, it took some time to figure out the... Um, the storyline because we wanted it centered around brothers but we didn't want them to be we wanted to have a diverse cast of characters and so that was when we came up with the idea of of them being foster brothers mm-hmm. yeah I love that I loved that aspect to the story so much. yeah I thought it was cool because <laughs> it is so much I always like found family yeah. in books, you know, because it's true. It's like, it's awesome if your own family is wonderful and amazing, but that's just not reality for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, so, and I love that. I mean, Jameson who adopts them, he just, he loved them so much. And I'm oh, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I just, I love seeing that because a lot of times you hear foster situations and they're not always that good, but he right. loved those boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a very, yeah, loving, happy environment. Um, and yeah, we love, I also just think romance readers love reading about a patriarch who has a big heart. Because mm-hmm. it's, you know, I think it's probably more the norm that the matriarch has the big heart. Yeah. Um, but there was no matriarch because Jameson was all on his own. And uh, I don't know, I like that aspect of the story. So your book is book two in the trilogy, and it's the romance between unlucky in love wedding planner Autumn mm-hmm. and Gray, who's 
the son uh one of the boys of jameson uh, autumn's yeah. wedding planning business has really been affected by the actions of her father and by her being left at the altar by her fiance <laughs> yet she still believes in love and gray doesn't at all right. <laughs> did you think of everything <laughs> autumn had going on prior to the beginning of writing her story or was it stuff that just kind of came to you as the story progressed Initially, it was all just about this whole idea of the wedding planner left at the altar, only okay. because I'd wanted to write a book about a wedding planner left at the altar for a long time. <laughs> um, but then I was also definitely fascinated by the idea of, you know, we hear about, you know, public figures who do bad things. And um, so, in, in, you know, in the story, Autumn's dad is a Hollywood producer and um, all these accusations of sexual harassment have come out um, and it's something that's been going on for years. And um, obviously her dad, you know, that has victims, but, you know, every, the people who are around him who, you know, at one point loved him um, have to make a choice of, you know, whether or not they can keep him in their lives and I just thought about what a hard situation that is, you know, yeah. that when something like this happens, there's a lot of people get hurt. It's not only just the victims. Obviously, they should be the focus, but they're, you know, it, it's, it ruins a lot of lives. And so um, that idea, I, I definitely wanted Autumn to feel tied to Moonlight Ridge and part of that is feeling like she can't go home and she really can't go home because she has completely cut herself off from her family and the life that she had before she goes to Moonlight Ridge. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, that was definitely, it was, um, I came up with it early in the writing process, but it wasn't part of the original story idea. The part about okay. her dad. Yeah. Yeah, and you see her really torn because her dad didn't really do anything to her per se, but mm -hmm. his actions affect her. So there are moments where you can see that she's torn because it's like, well, this is my dad. And like, there's that mm -hmm. little piece that feels like she wants that relationship with him, yeah. but yeah. his decisions have really affected her. And so right. I think she through her you really did a fantastic job and I don't even think you maybe were intending to do this of like creating boundaries like mm -hmm. and it's hard because she's kind of alone she's not alone obviously she's surrounded mm -hmm. by people but when it comes to family she's kind of on her own right which is really hard for her because she's someone who's so just sunny and optimistic and you know even though she's had a hard time, she totally 100% believes in real love and true love and all these things that it would be really easy to be jaded about. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously, yeah, being away from her family is hard for her. But I also think, you know, there's a lot of pressure on people who are in circles of someone who's done something bad. There's a lot of pressure on those people to make some kind of a statement yeah. about, you know, I'm cutting this person out of my life. I am... Um, so that was just something else I kind of wanted to address in the book. So Gray and all of his brothers or the, the three boys, they all plan to return home 
with the intentions of their stay being temporary. But each find love, which shakes up their plans. As both a reader and writer of romance, what do you think it is about the returning home storyline that we both you you enjoy reading and enjoy writing because it's definitely a favorite of mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, I mean, there's a zillion stories based on it. You know, again, it's that whole, um, it's found family. So it's not always, I feel like it's kind of teaching that lesson of you don't appreciate something until it's gone. So yeah, you've left and it's not there anymore. And um, it forces you to, um, because we're all so formed by our childhoods and what happened to us when we were teenagers and all that. Um, So yeah, you have to, it's kind of like coming to terms with yourself when you have to return home and face all these things that formed you and come to peace with it and decide that that's where you want to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is about kind of learning to accept yourself, accept um, who you are as a person. I think that's a lot of it. Let's get into some writer questions. Okay. So you sit down um, to begin working on your current work in progress Mm -hmm. set the scene for us. Early bird or night owl? What time of day do you feel most productive with writing? Early bird for sure. Like I'll get up at five and write. Um, I just like it when the house is totally quiet. Um, Our cat is just kind of glued to me a lot of the time. So I sit on the couch usually with my laptop and she's right at my side. And I don't know, it's just a very nice time. And I don't feel my brain starts going and, but everyone else is asleep. Yeah. (laughs) It's so peaceful. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I can get a lot done. I can get a lot done. Are you a plotter or a pantser? I would say I'm a planter. <laughs> okay. I've heard that before. Uh, yeah. I used to be a pantser, but I realized that it just, it ends up taking up so much mm-hmm. more time. And it's also kind of makes it frustrating because the number one reason I get stuck is because I don't know where the story is going. And, and there's something to be said for just kind of writing and just kind of seeing where it takes you. But, um, I do, I am more productive when I plan out what um, is going to happen. But the flip side of it is I don't, I don't, you know, stay married to those ideas. Sometimes you get into something and something new comes to mind or you realize, oh yeah, this doesn't work. It worked because I wrote it down on a piece of paper, but in reality, it doesn't work Mm -hmm. for the story. If it's a project you've already been working on, do you reread the previous day's work before beginning for the new day or how does that work? I try not to only because I'm definitely, the thing I like to do the most is revise and I could revise all day long and revise and revise and revise. Uh, It's always the new words that are the hard part for me. So um, I try to force myself to just write new, as many new words as possible, knowing that I will put all of my time and attention into revising it. So I try to not read what I wrote the day before. Okay. Um, but sometimes I will if I'm stuck, if I just can't figure out where I'm going, or if I don't remember what I wrote the, <laughs> the day before, which does happen sometimes. Yeah. Are there any necessities you need around you while you're writing? Um, quiet. That would be the main one. I cannot, like, I can't, I can't go to a coffee shop and write. Um, if, you know, so my kids are 20 and 22, so it's like right now they're both at home and soon they'll be out the door. Um, 
back to school and all of that. But so like right now I have these like huge set of headphones and I put them on and I put on, they have these white noise videos Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on YouTube (laughs) of just like rain in the forest or whatever. And I put those on. That's the only way I can write. I can't, I can't be aware of other people milling about or anything like that. I get way too distracted. So yeah, for me, quiet is the number one um, thing, just a total lack of mm-hmm. distractions. I love that. Yeah. That's the only way you can write. Cause that's the only way I can sleep. <laughs> I have oh. like this rain oh. app on my phone. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you set daily writing goals? And if you do, do you have any advice for anyone that's an aspiring author that's unsure of how to figure out what their daily writing goal should be? So I do still do that, especially with the Harlequin books, because it's just, you know, I'm always so keenly aware of the mm-hmm. words and where I'm at, the count. I will say, I feel like I'm kind of changing my mind about word count. I've, I've kind of come to the conclusion that it's better to have a goal of writing a scene or a chunk of a scene mm-hmm. rather than focusing on the number of words. Um, because you can always trim or add later, but it's more about like, right you know, conquering a chunk of the story. Cause I mean, I could write 2000 words and it, you know, the heroine could have not left her bedroom yeah. at that point. She could not be out the door off to work when really I should have written her, you know, going to work, running into the hero, you know, whatever those two arguing about something or I don't know. But, um, so I do feel like trying to focus on scenes or chunks of scenes is probably a better goal. Um, I mean, in theory, I try to write 2,000 words is sort of the minimum. But I mean, like right now, my word, my daily word count goal is 8,000, which is... Wow. Oh gosh. But, that, <laughs> but that's really only for the next two weeks. And then it's going to taper off big time. But um, right now, I'm just really behind the eight ball with deadlines. So um, I can do that. Um, it's not very fun. And, and talk to me on Friday and see how I'm doing. Because mm-hmm. usually I'm just, you know, it's so depleting. Just mm-hmm. you get fried from doing that. But um, we'll see. I just have to tough it out. I had a paper due today that like, well, it wasn't due today. It's due actually next week. But I uh-huh. like to do homework on Sundays. Right. And it was only 700 words. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm depleted and right. it was not 8,000 words. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, okay. Having the mixture of plotter and pantser, this, I hope this doesn't sound stupid. I have never sat down to try to write a story, but like, does that help you when with, with the, Eight, making the 8,000 words happen? Like, are you sitting, you know what you want to happen. And now you're just like sitting there, like, right. I guess my biggest, the thing that gets me that I think you guys, it just astonishes me that you all do this mm-hmm. every time you write a book is like the dialogue and then like the side relationships. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how does all of this happen? So does the plotting and the pantsing, does that help with that? Or is that just, does that come when you sit down and actually start writing? The plotting helps with that because I do, feel, you know, when you're talking about all those little threads that go through a book, I do make notes um, to myself where I'll, you know, because it, it usually only needs to be a little jump with each scene in terms of advancing those smaller storylines or not necessarily every scene, but at least 
I feel like there should be some hint at it for each chapter. Okay. So I'll just kind of break it down into little chunks and then just say, this happens here, this happens here, this happens here. Okay. And a lot of times it's about sequencing more than anything. You know, she needs to get the job offer before he okay. tells her that he's in love with her kind of thing um, or whatever it is. So a lot of it's just about the sequence um. of events. Okay. <laughs> you log on to your computer. Are there specific programs you use to write? Yeah, I use Scrivener. Um, to me, that's the easiest thing. And I have a very specific way I set up every book. But the thing I like about it is, um, and I know that I don't use, I probably use 10% of the functionality of Scrivener because it's a very feature-rich piece of software. But um, I like the fact that on the left-hand side, I have each chapter is a little document. Um, and I can move them in order. And so that really helps. And then on the right-hand side, I can put notes to myself. And okay. so maybe I just think of something like, oh, she should have had that phone call with her mom you know, earlier, it should have been in this other scene, then I'll just write myself a note that just says, you know, move the phone call to this scene or make the phone call more, uh, you know, <laughs> filled with tension or I don't know, whatever I do. I do sometimes. <laughs> At one point I was writing a Texas Cattlemen's Club book and <laughs> I wrote myself a note. <laughs> I said, make this funeral sexier. <laughs> Right. I love yeah. it. This it sounds like a desire. It sounds exactly. like a desire book. I was like, oh. I was like, there's no tension in this funeral at all. I need I need there to be. Yeah. We already know he's dead, right? So I feel like uh, that's anyway. a book we need. We need like a book of just like right? Harlequin yeah. writer notes. The yeah. stuff right. that oh, is yeah, needed yeah, yeah. to the making of the book. Yeah. Make the awesome. funeral sexier. Right. <laughs> There's no sex yeah. in this book. Where is it? Right. Like, right. I feel like that's what we need. Yep. <laughs> um, okay. Let's do some round out questions. Okay. What is one of the toughest pieces of advice you've ever received? So I thought about this one for a long time too. I think um, this isn't necessarily advice, but somebody wrote this. And for the most part, I do not read my reviews, especially not Amazon <laughs> reviews, but somebody told me about this review. <laughs> And it's a one-star review for Bring Me Back on Amazon. And it, anyway, this it was written by a dude, which I was like, maybe this book wasn't for you. You yeah. know, did you ever think about that? Of course, I didn't say I've never, ever respond to an Amazon review. But anyway, he just basically said, don't quit your day job. You should stop writing immediately. Don't, you know, stop, basically. <laughs> uh, he said he felt dumber oh after Lord. reading the book. Right. And so, <laughs> Thank you for reading it. Though. I know. I know. But I really felt like being like, yeah, that was, it actually took me a few days to get over it. Kind of like, it's, you know, trying to write and you have this like, and of course, this is just like some rando person, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know what, maybe he was just having a bad day. Maybe he likes troll pe trolling people on the mm -hmm. internet. I don't know. But yeah, it got in my head big time. Yeah. Yeah. I hate the reviews when you can tell that like mm -hmm. the person doesn't really read romance or mm -hmm. romance isn't their thing. Like I, I always, cause I love Hallmark. So I always love the reviews and they're mostly from women. Like, Oh, this reads like a Hallmark movie. And I'm like, 
well, okay, so I love them, so that's good. Let me go pick right, up this right, book. Right, right, right. Or like, if it's by Hallmark <laughs> Publishing, I'm like, well, duh. Did you <laughs> not pay attention? Like a Hallmark right. Movie, Did right. you not look at what you were reading? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, the yeah. safest thing is to just, I mean, has is that something that for you as an author, you've been kind of a rule of yours from the beginning like don't look at the reviews or oh yeah 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 okay I mean it was um one of it's probably the yeah my second book and actually the first book I ever published was co-written with another author so it was the first book that was solely written by me this woman wrote this she just dragged me on goodreads like big time I looked just one star and she did the whole review with like gifs of women rolling their eyes and you know pulled like lines of dialogue out and I'm sorry but you can pull a line of dialogue out of any book and make it sound stupid yes yeah (laughs) um and then she got you know it's definitely one of those people who has a big community on Goodreads and so she got everyone Mm. to go and like vote up her negative review and and trash I knew I wasn't supposed to say anything and I didn't say anything mm-hmm. but that was when I was like you know this isn't good for me mm-hmm. um the reviews aren't for me they're for readers um somebody will read that review and say okay yeah I don't want to read this but somebody mm-hmm. will read that review and go oh, wait a minute I do want to read this book now yeah and um so yeah so I just don't um what is one out. book you've read within the past yeah. few years that you wish you could read again for the first time? Um, I think it's the Christina Lauren book, mm. uh, Josh and Hazel's Guide to Not Dating. Um, wow, okay. And and the reason is because I ended up loving that book, but I almost quit on that book because I was about 20% of the way in and... Um, I was just like, God, Hazel is driving me crazy. Like, I realized she's supposed to be this kind of quirky, offbeat character, but she was driving me crazy. And um, I love Christina Lauren books, so I was really torn. And I talked to my friend Donna, who at the time had a romance blog, and she was had read it. And um, so we had this long talk, and she had actually struggled with the same thing. Okay. And so she convinced mm-hmm. me to keep reading and I ended up loving, loving, loving the book. So I do kind of wish that I could go back and I don't know, cause that doesn't really yeah. work. Have fresh eyes, but also know that, <laughs> that yeah. I should just keep reading. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I, um, I don't quit on too many books, but I, I will sometimes uh, do that. If, mm-hmm. if a character is bothering me or something happens yeah. that I just don't, dig um so that is one of theirs that i i aside from like their crazy extensive backlist that is one of their more recent ones that i have not read yet and i'm like why haven't you read this book (laughs) i love the unhoneymooners i love my favorite half night stand like Mm -hmm. they're so good and that one i i think it was i was seeing a lot of reviews and i was like Mm -hmm. i need to wait for people to stop talking about this book because i'm gonna go into it already under the assumption mm-hmm. I'm not going to like it or right. it's going to be my new favorite book. And I just right. need my own opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they did a great job of redeeming the characters of, of um, making you fall in love with characters who might not be immediately likable, which I always really admire because not every author can do that. Who was your teenage celebrity crush? Oh, that's very easy. That was John Taylor <laughs> from Duran Duran. 
Um, I'm still, he's still kind of my celebrity crush. I love um, it. Yeah. He, yeah. Well, I don't know. He's just still a total babe. And, um, he posted, his wife posted a picture on Instagram of him with, he's, uh, well, he'd already been a grandfather, but he's got a new grandbaby. And there's this picture of him with the baby at the park. And like he but he's wearing like a sleeveless black <laughs> shirt and like all his tattoos no, are still there it. and everything. So he's like rock grandpa. Yeah. Um, but he just has this like huge smile on his face and the baby is so happy. And anyway, so yeah. That's love it. What is the Bill, first song on the crush. soundtrack to your life? Oh gosh. Um, I would have to say it would probably be a Beatles song only because that was the first, um, music that I really became truly obsessed with. And that was like, I mean, as young as like seven years old. Wow. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It'd probably be something off of like Sergeant Peppers or something like that. But, um, I love the Beatles. My kids love the Beatles. <laughs> My husband loves the Beatles. So it'll be something by the Beatles. You decide you want takeout for dinner. Mm-hmm. Where do you order from and what's your order? Um, usually it's Thai. And we usually get um, we usually get some kind of like shrimp pad Thai. But then we usually get uh, green curry with um, chicken. I like all kinds of curry, though. I like yellow curry. I like Penang curry. But definitely Thai food. We have really good Thai food here in North Carolina. 15 years from now, you're writing your memoir. What's the title? Uh, I did my best. Love it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's always like, I always say if I'm, if I got a tattoo, I would just get a tattoo that says I'm doing my best because I feel like most days when everything goes just down the toilet and you're just having a terrible day, you're just kind of like, look, everybody, Mm -hmm. I'm doing the best I can. Yes. Um, It might not be the best, but it's, it's my best. I feel like that's me screaming at all three of my kids. I'm like, I'm trying. I'm doing the best that I can. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Is there a category romance line that you wish never went away or would make a comeback? So uh, Harlequin at one point had a line, and of course now I forget what it was called. um, The Everlasting Love Series. That had older characters in it that had like 40 and up. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I would love it if that came back. And then the other line is um, Harlequin Kiss. Um, oh, yeah. Which, those are like very just like fun and flirty books. Um, and I like what is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on? Um, uh, my best friend's <laughs> wedding is neither a romance or a comedy. I love it. Elaborate. Classic Julia Roberts. (laughs) I hate that movie. I hate I did too, and my mom loved it. My mom played it over and over growing up. And like it was good, but then it became kind of awkward. Right. (laughs) I thought it was awkward from the beginning. I mean, just the whole premise of it is bad. I I hated Julia Roberts' character. I hated of course, I can never remember if it's Dermot Mulrooney or 
the other guy who looks like Dermot Mulroney who has a name like anyway. So I just ugh. I hate that movie. That's Cameron the hell Diaz I is on. all like Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Love it. Yeah. It's I do love the singing, like from the Yeah, no, that scene is that scene is fun, but um that scene is also very white. Like, I feel like I'm like, oh, God, this is like one of the whitest things that has ever been put on film. Okay, what is a Julia Roberts rom-com you enjoyed? Um, I mean, I love Pretty yeah. Woman. Mm-hmm. That's probably the one that I, um, although Notting Hill, too. Okay. I love, I love that movie. And, and actually, Bring Me Back is kind of Notting Hill in reverse. And okay. that he's famous and she's like an everyday woman. Um, and, but yeah, so actually I'm going to say Notting Hill. So besides book two in the Never Too Late series, do you have anything else releasing this year that we can look forward to? This year? I do not. Okay. So I have a new trilogy for Desire next year. That's January, March, and May. And that's called The Little Black Book of Secrets. And it's about an anonymous social media account that is basically trying to take down all these rich and powerful people. Oh, sounds so and, good. Um, oh, yeah. I'm yeah. intrigued already. I know. I'm like, <laughs> this sounds perfect for desire. But then I'm like, huh, I could see this being like a fun romantic suspense. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah no, totally. And there is, there is a little bit of like mystery behind it. Because mm-hmm. basically in the first book, the um, hero is a um, sports agent and his brand new you know, about to be a rookie quarterback, you know, big signing, biggest client gets caught up in the crosshairs of the social media account. And Mm. so he becomes kind of obsessed with trying to unmask, you know, who is this, you know, this just like this person kind of like hiding in the proverbial bushes, you know, Mm -hmm. putting all this information out there, but we don't know who it is. And so it is over the course of the three books that we figure out who's behind the social nice. media account and what their aims were for. So for moonlight, uh, the moonlight Ridge trilogy, love sweet arrow has, they will have a box that people can order. We can pre-order it right now. Right. Can you yep. tell us about that? Right. So it's signed copies of all three books. Um, because Joss is in South Africa, we had to, she, uh, you know, scanned her signature and I printed out clear labels and we put them on the inside of books. But then I signed my books, re-signed her books. And then there's, um, so you get signed copies of all three books and then you get a Moonlight Ridge bookmark, which I just got the other day. And, um, and then you also get uh, a Moonlight Ridge candle, which is a, it's a custom scent that has, um, so Moonlight Ridge is set in the mountains of North Carolina and Asheville, North Carolina. And so it has this kind of like um, champagne is one of the notes, like wow. scent notes in the candle. But then there's also like this little bit of pine in there and it's really cool. Mm-hmm. So, and then there's, you know, custom label on there and everything. So um, yeah, so you can pre-order it now. And then I think it's probably going to be a couple of weeks until they can ship it because just because of Reese's book doesn't come out until September, but um, it'll be soon. And, okay. and it's a limited thing. You know, if you don't pre-order it, I think they're only going to have maybe 10 extras. And then once those are gone, they're gone. They're gone. 
Okay. Well, we will leave links to it in the show notes. (laughs) Yeah. Order it it if you're interested. Order it now. So lastly, where can everyone follow you online? Um, So my website is karenbooth.net. And that has links to, you know, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram um, and Pinterest. It's usually always at Karen B. Booth. Um, But if you go on my website, karenbooth.net, there's the links to everything else is there. I have a, there's like a downloadable reading list on my about page, which I probably need to update now that I'm thinking about it. Um, But, and it lists every single book and um, I try to kind of break them down by tropes a little bit. Um, So anyway, that's where you can find me. Well, listeners, make sure that you check out the show notes because we will have all of the places listed where you can follow and keep up with Karen Booth. Make sure y'all read the Moonlight Ridge Mm -hmm. trilogy. I will say you should read it in order. (laughs) I'm just saying there's a little bit of a mystery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you should read all of them in order. It's an incredible trilogy. Can't wait for the Mm -hmm. next book, which is Reese Ryan's to come out. Make sure also in the show notes, we'll have Love Sweet Arrows link so you can pre-order the box, get your candle, get your bookmark and sign copies of the book. I mean, tell them sign copies of Mm -hmm. all the books. So thank you so much for your time today and for chatting with us. And thank you for having me. This was super fun. Super fun. It was super fun. Thank you. Chatting 80s movies and 80s, you know, that's right. It's just been so much fun. So, well, let me know. I'll come back any any of that stuff. Yay! (laughs) You're you're locked in now. That's great. (laughs) All right, listeners, Sarah and I will chat with you in our next episode. Have a lovely day. Mm